This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You guys excited about studying God's Word together today? Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4 today. As we start this brand new teaching series on spiritual disciplines. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, here is what Paul writes. He says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I don't know what you think about when you hear the term spiritual discipline. And perhaps you think about some monk who lives in a monastery deep in the Himalayan mountains. Or, or maybe you think about the super spiritual varsity level Christian that you look up to and revere, but whom you think you can never quite emulate or be like. Perhaps whenever you hear the term spiritual disciplines, you, you immediately go to the place of, well, yeah, that's just not me. I'm not a very disciplined person, and so uh, th- I guess this message series isn't really for me because that's not who I am. You might even think, like, man, here we go again. Like, it's just going to be this, this guilt over the next several weeks because I know that spiritual disciplines is not something I'm really good at, but I, I want to be good at it. And just hearing this for the next several weeks is going to be a huge challenge for me. I, I'm not sure what you immediately think about when you hear spiritual disciplines. But regardless of where we're coming from today, I, I hope by uh, reading God's Word together and the Holy Spirit empowering us and connecting the dots in our minds and in our hearts to the heart and mind of God, that, that perhaps for the first time in your life, God might awaken something inside of you to start pursuing these means of grace as you've never done before. Just for a quick uh, recap, or maybe even education for some of us, what, what are spiritual disciplines? Well, well spiritual disciplines, um, I, I've really boiled it down to this definition, and you see it in the tagline of, of the media, uh, 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 sources of media this week is that they are grace habits in pursuing godliness. And so these are grace habits. What do I mean by that? They are are habits that we do on a regular basis in the Christian life to accompany our mean of getting to godliness. It's how we get to godliness is through these habits. And these habits are grace habits. They're not things that we just set out and we just make all these goals to say somehow I've got to get the courage enough and the discipline enough on my own to prove something to God or to overcome my brothers and sisters in Christ to be better than them. No, these are grace habits 
dependent upon God for His work inside of us. Now, now what's uh, another distinction I want to make here for you is that doing these things does not equal godliness. It's a very important distinction for us to recognize today. We can pray an hour a day. We can read an entire book of the Bible every day. We can memorize chapters of Scripture a week. We can fast three days a week. We can come to worship every Sunday for 52 weeks a year. We can serve others in the name of Jesus regularly in our lives. But if there is no infusion of the Holy Spirit, if there is no dependency upon God, what we may prove to be is a very good religious person or very good religious disciplined person. But simply doing these things does not equal godliness. While at the same time, there is no godliness without doing these things. Can we live in that tension this morning? And what is the difference? The difference is the, is the attitude by which you approach them, the dependency on whom you depend, and the gospel at work in your life. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to lay down some foundations for us as we start this series. We're not going to focus on any particular spiritual discipline today. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to focus on 12 different spiritual disciplines that we see in the scriptures. And some of these disciplines are for us as individuals to pursue, while some of these disciplines are disciplines that are best practiced within the faith community itself. But today I want to lay some foundations for discipline and what the scriptures are teaching us here about spiritual disciplines. Okay, and the first, the first major point that we need to recognize, to grasp, and to hold on to today is simply this. The Christian life is a disciplined life. This is important for us to recognize because there could be some aspect of Christianity that you've been taught at some point in your life that just misses the boat of what New Testament Christianity is all about. And perhaps someone has, they, they've told you something about Christianity isn't about rules, it's just about a relationship, or it's not about everything you do, it's simply about who you are in Jesus. And although at the core of some of those statements, it's not completely untrue, but if we hold on to those things too tightly, we might miss a vast, vast swath of what the Scriptures teach us about Christian discipleship. And the New Testament would teach us that the Christian life is a disciplined life. And Jesus himself expects us to be disciplined people in our walks with God. Now, where do we see that in our text today? Well, we, we really see it all the way throughout that the Christian life is a disciplined life. Look with me at the language that Paul uses in almost every verse in this paragraph. In verse 6, he uses the term, the terms being trained in the words of the faith. In verse 7, he says, train yourself. In verse 8, he alludes to bodily training and then contrasting that with spiritual training. In verse 10, he uses the terms, we toil and strive. All of these terms evoke a posture of discipline, a posture of work, a posture of toil, striving after Jesus Christ. Now, 
This term train here in the original language is the Greek word gymnasia, from which we derive our English words gymnasium and gymnast, which immediately just shows us from a New Testament perspective that the New Testament writers most definitely saw the Christian life as an athletic pursuit that requires work, that requires discipline, that requires training. And so for the New Testament writers, the New Testament apostles, they simply did not know a Christian faith that was founded upon indifferent, spiritually speaking, or just a laissez-faire type of living and approaching Jesus Christ. Now here's another important distinction. It's not that we discipline ourselves in the Christian life in order to obtain favor with God. It is that we discipline ourselves to pursue Jesus Christ because we have already obtained favor with God. We don't pursue disciplines in order to earn right relationship with God. We pursue spiritual disciplines because we have been given right relationship with God because of Jesus. It is that right relationship with Jesus that actually empowers discipline with Jesus. So what we see from the text is that the Christian life is a disciplined life. And I want to show you three simple things here that should influence our foundations in thinking about spiritual disciplines. So since the Christian life is a disciplined life, we pursue spiritual disciplines, number one, personally. We do it personally. When you look at verse 7, here's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to his young protege, Timothy. He's writing him a personal letter. And in verse 7, he says, train yourself for godliness. So from Paul to Timothy, he's telling Timothy, you have a personal responsibility to train yourself for the sake of godliness in your life. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you and for me today. We have a personal responsibility to pursue spiritual disciplines. And in the coming weeks, we're going to unpack some of those and what they look like. Whether it's setting aside time for silence and solitude, being alone with the Father, reading the Scriptures on a regular basis, meditating on the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures, fasting. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. Serving others in the name of Jesus. Worshiping with the family of God. Many other disciplines we're going to look at. But you have a personal responsibility to pursue these in your own life. And along the way in our study this fall, we're going to try and show you both the theological foundations for why we do these things, but then also give you some practical suggestions for how you might pursue these things. But know, number one, that we pursue spiritual disciplines personally as a follower of Jesus. But secondly, we pursue spiritual disciplines corporately corporately, meaning that together, collectively, or corporately, in the body of Christ, we also pursue some of these spiritual disciplines together. And we see this in verse 6. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, now that word brothers there is really translated brothers and sisters. And this is a term uh, that is used some 125 times or so in the New Testament, and, and, and when the scriptures are using this term, and the scripture writers are writing this, they are talking about the church as a whole. 
the brothers and sisters in the faith. And to be used 125 times in the New Testament shows that it was a very high value for these first century Christians and for the apostles writing the scriptures. And so in the context of pursuing discipline, there's an aspect of this that we pursue the disciplines not only personally, but we also pursue the disciplines together. And so think about it this way. Even with something as simple as reading the Bible and praying, So the expectations of the scriptures are that you would do that personally, individually, on a regular basis in your everyday life. But then when we come together as the body of Christ, each Sunday or in a community group or one-on-one, we also read the Bible, study the Bible, and pray together corporately, right? So so that's what I want you to see. We, We do some of these disciplines personally, but then there are some of them also that we do very corporately, and we do those things together. The third foundation I want you to see here in terms of the Christian life being a disciplined life is that we also pursue spiritual disciplines dependently. And we've already talked about this in pretty good measure this morning, both during communion as well as in the setup for today's message. But I want you to see this in the text. In the text in verse 10, He says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. I'm going to paraphrase this in a way as it relates to spiritual disciplines. It's as if what Paul is writing is as if when we pursue spiritual disciplines, we pursue spiritual disciplines with our eyes and our gaze on God. Because we recognize how dependent we are upon Him for everything that we do disciplined-wise. And friends, I'm going to share with you from personal experience as well as just knowing just human experience as well. If we don't have our eyes on God as we are pursuing spiritual disciplines, we will easily revert back to a posture of performance with spiritual disciplines that will start leading us astray and somehow thinking that our Christian faith is dependent upon our discipline or God is more favorable towards us when we do spiritual disciplines or less favorable towards us when we don't do spiritual disciplines. And that's not exactly a very healthy approach from which to pursue discipline. So we, the Christian life is a life of discipline. And we see that in the text Fairly clearly. But another foundation that I want us to see today is the why. Why do we do this? And what I want you to see from the scriptures today is that we pursue spiritual disciplines for a purposed end. For a purposed end. We don't discipline ourselves simply for the sake of disciplining ourselves. We're not simply trying to be a better person. We don't do these things just to do them. We don't pursue spiritual disciplines to somehow prove our worthiness to God or somehow to outshine our brothers and sisters who may be sitting next to us. There is an aim to our discipline. There is a purpose to our discipline, and that purpose or that aim changes everything as we pursue discipline. And that aim, that ultimate aim, is to be more like, to look more like, and to sound more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And if we don't have that aim in mind or in view, then we will simply be a bunch of religious, disciplined people who have missed the complete picture of why we even doing this. Now, having that aim in mind is what should ultimately motivate us to pursue the spiritual disciplines. And it's also what should persevere us to continue pursuing them even when we're not doing a really good job at it. And if I could just say from personal experience, brothers and sisters, uh, I, I don't think that I'm an anomaly. I, I think that I am an average, ordinary, normal Christian. If I can just speak from my own life, the Christian is going to go through seasons of spiritual disciplines. And your spiritual disciplines sometimes are just at their height and you are booming and going. You are walking on hell with a water pistol, right? Everything is just great. And then there's those seasons when life just really kicks in. And although they may not be completely absent from your life, you're just not where you were. But then there's a revival that happens and you're back on top of the mountain again. That really is an ebb and flow to our Christian faith. And we go through seasons with the disciplines, but the disciplines should always be there in some shape, form, or fashion in the Christian's life because it's how God has wired us in order to look like Jesus. Donald Whitney, in his fantastic book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, writes this, Discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. I love this quote from Whitney. And I really believe that we see this quote being pulled directly from the scriptures here in verse 7. Paul writes, train yourself for godliness. Verse 10 says, for to this end we toil and strive. Right? So there is an aim, there is that direction. Whitney goes on and he gives this great illustration in his book. And he talks about an imaginary six year old little boy named Kevin. He says, Imagine six year old Kevin, whose parents have enrolled him in music lessons. And after school every afternoon, he sits in the living room and reluctantly strums home on the range while watching his buddies play baseball in the park across the street. That's discipline without direction. It's drudgery. Now suppose Kevin is visited by an angel one afternoon during guitar practice. In a vision, he's taken to Carnegie Hall. He's shown a guitar virtuoso giving a concert. Usually bored by classical music, Kevin is astonished by what he sees and hears. The musician's fingers dance excitedly on the strings with fluidity and grace. Kevin thinks of how stupid and clunky his hands feel when they halt and stumble over every chord. The virtuoso blends clean, soaring notes into a musical aroma that wafts from his guitar. Kevin remembers the toneless, irritating discord that comes stumbling out of his. But Kevin is enchanted. His head tilts slightly to one side as he listens. He drinks in everything. He never imagined that anyone could play the guitar like this. What do you think, Kevin? asked the angel. The answer is a soft, slow six-year-old's wow. 
The vision vanishes and the angel is again standing in front of Kevin in his living room. Kevin, says the angel, the wonderful musician you saw is you in a few years. Then pointing at the guitar, the angel declares, but you must practice. Suddenly the angel disappears and Kevin finds himself alone with his guitar. Do you think his attitude toward practice will be different now? You see, as long as he remembers what he's going to become, Kevin's discipline will have direction, a goal that will pull him into the future. Yes, effort will be involved, but you could hardly call it drudgery. When it comes to discipline in the Christian life, many believers feel as Kevin did toward guitar practice. It's discipline without direction. Prayer threatens to be drudgery. The practical value of meditation on Scripture seems uncertain. The real purpose of a discipline like fasting is often unclear. I wonder, could it be that, one, that the reason why you have not pursued discipline in your life very well, or perhaps why you're even struggling today, is that you don't get the picture, you're not seeing the picture of what Jesus wants you to become. You're not seeing the purpose for which they exist. Look back with me at the text. He goes on. He says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. I want you to think with me for a moment. The average human being is far more disciplined than we oftentimes give give ourselves credit for. Think about this. By and large, everyone in this room brushes your teeth every day. And most of us brush our teeth not once, but twice every day. Without fail. It's one of the first things we do when we wake up in the morning. It's probably one of the last things we do before we go to bed every night. We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mostly every day. Probably around the same time, every day. For those of us who work, we go to our jobs the same time, every day, and we clock out at the same time, every day. For those of us who are in class, your schedules look the same from the 1st of September to the middle of December, and you go to those same classes. Well, you're supposed to go to those same classes very regularly throughout the semester, right? And so... What's interesting is our lives are far more disciplined than we actually think they are. And what Paul says here is that there is bodily training. We do bodily training. We do earthly training on a very regular basis. And there is some great benefit to those things, especially if we don't want cavities. But he says that actually training yourself for godliness is beneficial in every way. And so let me just ask this question to us this morning. If we most definitely see the value of eating regular meals every day, and we definitely see the value for our, for our uh, dental work to brush our teeth regularly every day, then can't we at least see that there is far greater value to disciplining ourselves spiritually on a regular basis too? So let's use the remainder of our time together this morning to look at some aims or some directions for our pursuit of spiritual disciplines. 
And think about this as me giving you the why. But it's not ultimately me giving you the why. It's the Apostle Paul and the authority of the Scriptures telling us the why. We're going to look at six of these. And I'm just going to tell you, these aren't the only six reasons why we do this. But it's at least a good start for us as we think about why we, why we pursue spiritual disciplines. Number one, very simply, we, we pursue spiritual disciplines because we want to be godly. We want to be godly. It's what verse 7 says. Train yourself for godliness or discipline yourself for godliness. I think the old King James Version says, exercise thyself for godliness. In other words, the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to look like God. We want to be like God. And as I said in our opening, brothers and sisters, there is no godliness divorced from the spiritual disciplines. It is the way in which you become like Jesus. Ultimately, we pursue spiritual disciplines because we want to be godly. Secondly, we pursue spiritual disciplines because we want to be a good servant of Jesus. We want to be a good servant of Jesus. Now, I want to put this in the context of the entire book. Now, Timothy is a young pastor, probably in his 30s. He's leading the church at Ephesus. And there are some struggles going on there. There are some false teaching that is, that is rising up in Ephesus. There are some disagreements going on in Ephesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy to remind him of what he's been taught so that he would remind those people in Ephesus of what they have been taught in order to push them forward in Christian perseverance and attitude and action. When you look at verse 6, Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers and sisters, what things? Well, the entire book, but in the, even specifically as it relates to disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness rather than walking off and back into the ways of the world. And Paul says that if you do those things, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And so now, if Timothy is going to be a good servant of Christ Jesus by pursuing the spiritual disciplines in his own life and also putting those things before the members of the church at Ephesus, the same thing has got to be true for you and me 2,000 years later. That when we pursue the spiritual disciplines, and we follow God's way for our life and not our own way, then we're going to be good servants of Christ Jesus. And I, I would like to think today, and I really do believe I'm right in this, that if I were to go around the room right now and ask every single one of us in this room, do you want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ? Or do you want to be a bad servant of Jesus Christ? I think I would be hard-pressed to find even one or two people who would say, nope, you know what, Chris? I'm just really a spiritual slacker, and I'm just going to embrace my spiritual slacker status. I really want to be a bad servant of Jesus Christ. I really think I'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would say that. I really do believe that most of us in this room would want to be a good servant of Jesus Christ. And I believe from our text today, in order to be a good servant of Jesus Christ, we must pursue spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines are for a purposed end. Number three, third reason why we pursue spiritual disciplines is we want to be faithful to the truth of Jesus. We want to be faithful 
to the truth of Jesus. You go on in that verse 6, and he says, A good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine you have followed. The words of faith and doctrine. Most definitely, he's pointing us to the truth of God's word. This is surely what Paul is referencing here. And it even shows us that the expectation that the first century apostles had for even the average follower of Christ is that they would be trained in the words of Christ and would know good doctrine. Wouldn't you like to know the word more than you do? Wouldn't you like to be that Christian who in conversation you simply have the words on your tongue because you had read it or because you had memorized it or because you understood theological principles more deeply than perhaps you know today? Well, just like our friend Kevin and his guitar, there is no doctrinal virtuoso who comes to be that apart from disciplined study and disciplined devotion to the Word of God and the other spiritual disciplines. I, I'm going to share with you, like, I, I really don't believe there's anything special about me. And people say a lot of nice things about me, a lot of kind things about me, and I'm always encouraged when people tell me what they've learned from my teaching or from the Scriptures studies that we do together here. But I want you to know there's nothing special about me. I did not wake up one morning with just knowledge and just understanding that Genesis to Revelation. And there are still many principles in the scriptures that I have a hard time connecting all the dots on just off the top of my head. It's why I, go, I have all these references and I go back and study more and more. But why is it that I am where I am today, even scripturally speaking, I'm just going to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's, it's from reading over and over and over again, both the scriptures as well as other sources that others have written. It's just there is no maturity in the word of God and faithfulness to the truth of Jesus apart from discipline. Discipline matters. Number four, a fourth reason why we pursue spiritual disciplines is we want to avoid spiritual distortions. We want to avoid spiritual distortions. Look with me at verse 7, the first part of verse 7. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, what's going on here? Well, this is where we want Scripture to interpret Scripture. So if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, here's what Paul writes at the very beginning of the letter. He says in verse 3, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, there's that direction again, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Here's the reality. Ever since the first century church, there have always been vain discussions, endless speculations, 
fascinations about certain doctrines, fascinations about certain doctrines, and they start going off the rails and they start upsetting and disrupting the faith of some in the church. Brothers and sisters, Paul said to Timothy that this should not be happening. And we've seen it. We see it even in our day where people start becoming fascinated by a certain teaching. They start going down the road and just being so enamored by one specific teaching in the church. Uh, it could be a fascinate, an inordinate fascination with the end times and, and charts and whether you're pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or pre-millennial, amillennial, post-millennial. It, there's so many discussions that can go on. We can get this way when we start talking about salvation. Does God choose or do we choose? And I totally believe that there are answers to that. But when we just completely become inordinately fascinated about those things, we even go down the road of false teaching, of people starting to say that Jesus wasn't who he says he was. And entire sects of Christianity are out there, are so-called Christianity, that have arisen because of those things. What Paul is telling us is if you don't want your faith distorted, and you don't want to buy into spiritual distortion, then discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Because it's that discipline that will safeguard you from getting into speculative disagreements that you don't need to be getting into, but it will also guard you from believing erroneous things about Christ that you don't need to believe. So if you want to avoid spiritual distortions, pursue spiritual disciplines. Five, we want to have spiritual vitality in life. A fifth reason why we pursue spiritual disciplines in Jesus is we want to have spiritual vitality in life. I love verse 8. Bodily training is of some value. We already talked about that. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life. Brothers and sisters, I don't know why God wires the spiritual life the way he does. I'm not God, I don't know all of his mindset, but what I do know is that he has wired our spiritual DNA such that if we want vitality, power, and productivity in our Christian lives, that power, productivity, and spiritual vitality does not come apart from discipline. You have to pursue spiritual disciplines. And it's why one of the first things from even a pastoral counseling standpoint of view, if someone is sitting in my study or I'm sitting across the table from them in their homes and they are in some sort of relational or life crisis, one of my first questions is tell me about your walk with Jesus. Tell me about your scripture intake. Tell me about your time in prayer. Talk to me about fasting. Talk to me about the way you serve others. Because I really do believe that a vast majority of our struggles that we have in life sometimes are far more pronounced because we're not feasting on the spiritual disciplines and feasting on Jesus through them. Now, that's not to say that if you pursue spiritual disciplines, you're not going to have hardship and you're not going to have struggle. You most definitely still will. But sometimes our Achilles heel, spiritually speaking, is that we are facing the storms of life and our spiritual gas tanks are really, really low. And we have no strength from which to pull to face these things. 
And so one of the reasons, primary reasons, we pursue spiritual disciplines is so that we might have spiritual vitality in life. And lastly, we pursue spiritual disciplines because we want to have spiritual hope in life. We want to have spiritual hope in life. Last point I want you to see here. You see this both in verse 8 as well as verse 10. He says that godliness is a value because it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come, he says. And then he goes on in verse 10 to say, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. Everything about the Christian life is advanced by hope because we are people living by faith and not by sight. We can't see our God face to face right now. We can't see Jesus face to face right now. And so when we're struggling in our life and we have questions in our life, because we can't see, we are so tempted to shrink back or start walking the other way. So what is it that fuels our faith? What is it that's going to keep us persevering until we see Jesus face to face? It's hope. And where does hope come from? Hope comes from feasting on Jesus through the spiritual disciplines. Because every time I pray, and every time I open the word, I'm reminded of spiritual truths that are eternal and not simply temporal. And so those are six reasons why we should pursue spiritual disciplines. So the Christian life is a disciplined life. The Christian life is a disciplined life for a purposed end. There are reasons why we do this. I want to close today with one more visual to help us think about this before we close. I want you to think about a farmer. A farmer, there are a lot of things that he can do in order to grow a harvest. The farmer goes out, he, he pulls weeds, he tills the soil, he gets rid of the rocks. The farmer goes out and he plants seeds farmer goes out after planting the seeds and he makes sure that the ground is watered and saturated with H2O. He even fertilizes to make sure that the soil is the right possible environment in which crops might grow. And then what he does is he continues to tend that field. Again, pulling weeds, making sure that, that, that different predators can't get into his field to take away the crop that he wants to grow. And he labors and labors and labors in that soil day in and day out until that harvest comes. But there is one thing that that farmer cannot do. The farmer cannot make those seeds grow to plants. The farmer cannot make those plants yield fruit or yield vegetables. Only God can do that. Believe here is a great picture for us when it comes to spiritual disciplines. You cannot make yourself grow as a Christian. You cannot wish it to be. You can't just simply pray it to be. Only God can grow you. Only God can grow your faith through Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of things that you can do to make sure that the soil of your heart 
is the best possible soil in which spiritual fruit can grow. And that's where the spiritual disciplines come in. When we pray, when we spend silence and solitude with God, when we read and meditate on the scriptures, when we worship both privately and corporately with the body, when we serve others in the name of Jesus, and so many other things that we're going to look at this fall, what we are doing is we're doing the hard work of a farmer, and then we're looking to Jesus to say, Jesus, take all of these means, and would you grow Christ-bearing fruit in my life? Father, today I pray for my people. I pray today that we would receive your grace because, Lord, how we need it. Father, I pray today that where we are wayward in our spiritual disciplines, Lord, I ask that you would renew our faith today, that you would give us a new, a new goal, a new fervency from which to pursue them. Lord, I pray that we would rest on your grace because as we've seen today, we are completely dependent upon you with our gaze on you as we pursue the disciplines in our life. I pray that this fall would be a time of great spiritual renewal, a time of great newfound discipline for every follower of Jesus in our church. And I pray that that would have enormous missional impact on our church at large because our church will only be spiritually disciplined and missionally impactful when each follower of you is spiritually disciplined and missionally impactful. So Lord, work during our time right now Give us encouragement where we need to be encouraged. Challenge us where we need to be challenged as we rest on the grace of Jesus for it all. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.